your YouTube feed is crap. Stop wasting your time watching bot-boosted shills and self-appointed gurus cloying for your attention. Instead, join the Goslings interview, live stream, and podcast. The Goslings, a dark-lit digital speakeasy of free thinkers. A super chat of radical truth-seeking wizards who eat trolls for second breakfast. Topics that'll make your mama's hair stand on end. Ideas that'll make your pastor's knees knock. Guests that will illuminate the hidden chambers of your mind. And interviews that strike down the darkness. Welcome to The Goslings. What do you think is going to be happening at Davos this week? And uh, what influence uh, does you-know-who have on the World Economic Forum? So Klaus Schwab started the World Economic Forum in 1970. He founded it. Uh, he is uh, a Rothschild by birth. Most people don't know that about Schwab. Charles, Prince Charles at the time, now King Charles III, had his investiture as Prince of Wales in July 1969, months prior to Klaus Schwab founding the WEF. Since his investiture in July of 1969, Charles has been the number one globalist on the planet, bar none, including over Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab is a knight of Charles. He's one of his knights. Really? Bill Gates is a knight of Charles. He's one of his knights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's an awful lot of tie-in, but the bottom line is Schwab reports to Charles. He always has. And the Great Reset was started by Charles, not Schwab. So it was Charles who announced the Great Reset to the world from the WEF months before anybody heard the phrase pass anybody else's lips. Months before Klaus Schwab mentioned his book by that title, you know, with in the title. Oh, yeah. The phrase Build Back Better originated with Charles also. Wow. And you know, it's usually written small caps, Build Back Better, for Mm -hmm. 666, small Bs. Oh, wow. Oh, man. (laughs) There it is. Telegraphing. Oh, it's good. And for anybody who, um, because we've already jumped into this, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, the Antichrist and a cup of tea, the general conceit of that is what, Tim? That Charles, formerly Prince Charles of Wales, now uh, King Charles III, is the foretold Antichrist. Yes. A biblical apocalyptic prophecy. And, you know, people know there are many Antichrists scripturally, right? right? Yeah. Even today, there are, there are several people you could point to in the world and say, hey, that person is an Antichrist. Yeah. That's easy to do. Like Spirit North of Korea's Antichrist, leader, China's leader, right. well, yeah, or even just Antichrist figures who are venerated or worshipped by their people, if you will, mm-hmm. or even forced to do so, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. You find that easily in a fascist or a communist type society, or yep, various pagan um, entities. But bottom line is, just because there are many Antichrists in the world, doesn't mean there isn't a person who is the Antichrist. And when we talk about the Antichrist biblically, we're generally referring as theologians or Christians to the person who is going to be over a global government throughout the period of the Great Tribulation and who is going to be possessed by the devil during that period. So we're talking about, in other words, the other son of perdition of Scripture, 
There are two sons of perdition, Judas, who is possessed by Satan before he went to betray Christ, right? Yeah. For the crucifixion. Another parallel between the weeks. Right. Yep. And the Antichrist, who will be possessed by the devil right before he goes to betray Israel and the church mm -hmm. for crucifixion. Mm -hmm. For for Israel as a nation and for the church, real Christians to be led as lambs to the slaughter during the Great Tribulation. Yeah. So People look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse and they conflate things in various ways. One is they'll say, well, it's one person who rides as four in four different capacities in sequence. Others will say it's four different individuals. Others will say the rider of the white horse under the first seal, Revelation 6, verses 1 to 2, is the Antichrist. In other words, the person who's going to be over a global government for three and a half years later. Um, and that that person is the one who will be involved in the uh, supposed signing of a treaty, you know, with Israel right. mm -hmm. at the start of the tribulation week, these kinds of things. Those are all errors. Everything I've just said is wrong. Really? You know, in terms of the four horsemen, not about the son of perdition, that part's right. But oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, so we're actually talking about different Antichrist figures. Each of the horsemen is a different Antichrist. The fourth horseman is the one who's over a global government throughout the Great Tribulation. That's the person we're talking about in the Antichrist, Nick, up to tea. Okay. So we'll come around to the evidence on that. He's the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, in other words. Yeah. The other three I have already identified as well. Really? So they're not, yeah, they're not identified in that book, the Antichrist, Nick, up to tea. One of them is identified in my book, North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War, Behold a Red Horse, where mm -hmm. I talk about the writer of the second mm -hmm. seal's horse. Mm -hmm. uh, the identity of the fiery red horse and its rider and so forth in that book. The other two for the first and third seals, I mean, the white horse and then the, the supposed black horse, which is not actually black, but people think it's a black horse. Uh, the other two are identified in a different book that I have coming on the other two horsemen of the apocalypse, not mentioned yet on Prophecy House's site. So there are several books coming that aren't even mentioned on the site yet, including the one on the depopulation agenda, which, by the way, is under Charles. Of course. That agenda was under the British monarchy, largely under Prince Philip, for a long time. And now really? it's under Charles. Yep. Philip is now roasting in hell. So <laughs> he's, he's entered his beast. eternal roast rather than his eternal roast. <laughs> That's no, the kind no, of no punny the humor. That's the kind of punny yeah. humor I love, Tim. <laughs> How dare yeah. you steal my thunder? <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> so uh, the, the depopulation agenda was started under Philip, though. That's I've never heard of that before. Yeah, by and large, he oversaw it for decades. Really? So it actually goes back quite a ways. So it's so much, much further back than COVID. Okay. Yeah, COVID is just part of it. It's much more involved. And so yeah. uh, I address that in the coming book on the depopulation agenda. Guys. Nice. Including who's over it. And I trace the history and the entities and so forth with actual evidence. So um, one of the things. scary I've stuff. Uh, yeah, it is. It's we are living in. Well, as I say, you know, maybe live in interesting times. That is a mild understatement. Yeah. Mild. Um, but um, one of the things I find fascinating about the Antichrist in a cup of tea is not just the general conceit that, you know, Prince and now King Charles the third is the singular Antichrist that you're talking about. 
Um, but also that like, how do I put this? Everybody is always talking about, uh, especially in patriotic circles, um, you know, whether it's George Soros or the Rothschilds, you know, or all of these these secret tentacled enemies, you know, whether it's, you know, the World Economic Forum people, the Illuminati, the Bilderberg group, like there are all these different people. And yet no one has ever mentioned Charles III. It's almost like he's the the sleeper assassin you know, of these various antichrists. Mm -hmm. And they must have done a great job because no one, until we've heard of you, no one has ever talked about this. Everybody says well, it's George Soros. Every, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so I mentioned or Hillary Bill, Clinton. Or Bill Gates, right? Bill Gates. Right, or Bill Gates, yeah. or Obama, or Hillary Clinton, or, yeah. you know, yeah. take so, your pick. So I address all those people yeah. uh, in my books, but... Uh, Charles is the person who's going to be over the global government. He's the yeah. Antichrist, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, who will be over that three and a half year long global government. Uh, I mentioned Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab as Knights of Charles. Yes. Now, Charles has been over the whole Mideast peace process this entire time as well. Yeah. But you know, Soros is also under Charles. Really? Yep. The guy who runs Soros' stuff, who's the president over Soros' stuff. Mm hmm. Is a British subject. He reports to Charles. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, that's the connection. Oh my gosh. Interesting. So they're all subordinate to this guy. They're all subordinate to Charles. And no one has ever, he has gone this entire time with no one. He's ever been running the world name. for decades. Right. He's just not over a global government yet. And yet he has this general persona of being this inbred poorly postured soft-handed spoiled buffoon so is that you know and yet he's more like a man's man to most people and people don't realize that really how so so he commanded a minesweeper he's been a top polo player which is not uh, you know it's kind of a brutal sport uh yeah yeah and uh he has he's done quite a lot athletically really in his younger years you can find that in his biographies and i cite some of that in the antichrist cup d to kind of yeah. disabuse people of their false views of him yeah that He's is also a false been... view of mine yeah. you know and that might be the sin of youth on my part because we only know him as this older man you know i don't think it's a sin of youth it's because most of what we get in the public arena is fake news oh well fair for a long time that. now you. you know the yeah. equivalent of project mockingbird including <laughs> in the british yes. press yep yeah you know here you have this guy who's incredibly together and running so much behind the scenes and everybody thinks he's exactly what you said. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't take much investigation to realize he's completely the opposite of that. Ma'am. You know, and I'll, I'll give actual examples. I'm not just saying that, you know, in the course of this conversation, I'll lay some of it out. Yeah. You know, you know so for example, um, I mentioned the great reset, but he's over that, right? Mm -hmm. The entire global, let me put it another way. All the things being done to destroy the world today, are under Charles. Yeah. You know, even to give some examples, the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline. Mm, mm -hmm. Who did that? Pipelines. Who did that? Uh, I mean, they talk about it was us, but I don't know. Yeah, I assumed it was us. Yeah. We signed off on it. Okay. Yeah. The UK. Really? And possibly Poland involved. You know, we had multiple opportunities for the war in Ukraine to stop. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who, mm -hmm. who, 
who thwarted that each time? The UK. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why would they do that? Just a week week in Europe? No. You know, it actually dovetails with the whole climate agenda. People think that it's Mm -hmm. about, you know, global warming and saving the world's environment from humanity. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's never been that. It's always been a complete fraud from the start. The people behind it have known that. Not least of whom is Charles, who's been over the whole thing. And his father, Prince Philip, before that, over it to an extent. Um, Their their goals are multifaceted. One is a taxation system to fund a global government. The whole carbon Mm -hmm. trading scheme and some other schemes. Mm -hmm. It's about bilking the world out of money in a way that they can explain it to the public and get away with it. It's con, massive con. Mm -hmm. That's one piece of it. Another piece is to collapse the energy systems globally. Yep. Why would they want to do that? Uh, To hasten the the Great Reset because it collapses everything and makes people dependent and depopulates along with it. Depopulates. Yeah. You know, without the fertilizer, which we need natural gas to produce still. Right. Yep. There goes 40% roughly of global food production. Yeah. Overnight without yeah. fertilizer. And now we can just eat fertilizer. Bugs, you know? Yep. Uh, without heat, people freeze. You know, people don't die so mm-hmm. much in hot climates as they do in cold ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can't take care of themselves in the winter for a variety of reasons, including, you know, prevalence of disease from just not having a strong immune system when you're fighting off cold. Yeah. So, in other words, they collapse the energy systems. With that goes transportation mm-hmm. of food. So even if you can produce it, you can't get it because it's mm-hmm. not in your local store. Yeah. You know, even if it's on some farm somewhere, you can't go get it. Yeah. To to collapse the production of food without fertilizer, right? Once those things are collapsed, even to a little degree, a degree enough for people to realize, wait a minute, we're in trouble here. Mm-hmm. Once it gets that point, you're already years away from being able to bring it back online. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot Hmm. flip a switch and bring it back online just because you suddenly realize, whoa, we're in trouble. We're going the wrong direction here. (laughs) Right. By the time you realize that, it's too late. Yeah. And so you can look at what happened in Sri Lanka, right? They switched from synthetic fertilizers to organic farming and suddenly couple years later, their economy is collapsing. They can't produce enough food. Oh, wow. Really? So, yeah, that already happened. And now they're wanting to do that all over the West, right? Oh, of course, because it's already been proven a success for them. Yeah. 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 So that's the food you might grow in the ground with fertilizer. How about cattle and beef, right? Right. Well, we've got an excuse for that. They produce too much methane. Mm-hmm. Right. Too much nitrogen in their waste, mm-hmm. fouling the waters. We think we need fewer cows produced. Yeah. Yeah. So they put a lot of farmers out of business, like what's happening in the Netherlands, you know, a country that exports a lot of food to the rest of the yep. world. Not just yeah. Ukraine, for example, and Russia, which export fertilizer and food. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is yeah. part of what they're cutting off besides threatening energy systems, you know, with a war in Ukraine. There are other things I'm not mentioning, you know, involved with all of that, including weapons labs and so forth, bioweapons stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. But um, money laundering, you name it. There's a lot of other stuff tied in with Ukraine. But yes, um, 
the real goal here is not to save the environment of the world, it's to collapse the energy systems mm -hmm. while enacting a global taxation scheme yeah. to empower a global government that's to come, right? Simultaneously. Mm -hmm. When those systems are sufficiently collapsed, they figure they'll quickly depopulate the world. It wasn't just about COVID, for example, or these kinds of releases or the jabs, you yeah. know, or even transhumanism. Okay. But I've cited in the Antichrist Capitee, including the first edition published in 1998, that their goal was a survival of between 500 million and a billion people. Hmm. Is that they the Georgia Guidestones thing? Well, Georgia Guidestones has, you know, 500 million. That's There's right. a guy named uh, John Coleman who wrote a book called The Committee of 300 in the uh, 1980s, and the drafts were circulated in the early 90s and so forth. Um, but he wrote a book called The Committee of 300 where he cited their plot to have you know, maybe a billion people survive 500 million being Asians because they're easily regimented. Right. Yep. In his mind. So yeah. you wonder why China is, you know, less involved with being damaged by COVID or has mm -hmm. been at this point. Right. Yeah. Or some of these other Asian countries. Yeah. It's all very coordinated, but it's easy to draw that conclusion based on their past statements and what we've seen occur in the last three years, for yeah. example. But that being said, um, the Georgia Guidestones is just one example. Uh, there are quite a few others that I cite uh, between the Antichrist and Capitina and now the book that's coming on the depopulation agenda. Mm -hmm. At any rate, all that has sat uh, under the British monarchy and then Charles. And um, yeah, don't know where I was going with all that. But oh no. Anyway, he's <laughs> yeah. We were talking about um, we were talking about uh, how Philip was behind all of this, and then uh, Charles was behind all of this, and right, sort of right, a sleeper okay. hit of yeah all the of environmental that. movement. So yeah, you know they think they're going to achieve their depopulation agenda with the things I've just talked about. That's not how it's going to go. Yeah, you know, biblically, there's going to be war and peace is going to be removed from the earth out of the second seals events. Yeah, right. You know, here's something for people to contemplate. They look at the first horseman and they think that because he goes forth conquering and to conquer, suddenly the world is at war, mm -hmm. right? If that were true, why is it that there's not peace removed from the earth until the second seal? Oh, mm -hmm. good See, question. See, the events sure. of the first seal mean something different than, yeah. than the typical interpretation. So at any rate, uh, we're going to see warfare coming in other bad stuff, including ultimately natural events from God, you know, where there are common mm -hmm. asteroid strikes, you know, besides nuclear, biological and chemical warfare, weapons of mass destruction use, in other words, yeah, where uh, ultimately the world will be largely depopulated by the time Armageddon is over. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to happen in a fashion that allows them to kill off much of humanity and retain the infrastructure. Right. You have to collapse the infrastructure. Use. Yeah. Well, it's they didn't want the infrastructure all destroyed, which yeah. is why they've taken the approach they have. But that's where we're headed. It's going to be destroyed because God is going to laugh at them <laughs> and bring yeah. their worst fears on them <clears throat> and yeah. say, oh, that's what you want. Well, OK, let's try it this way. <laughs> you know, then, yeah, yeah. But the point is. Um, Charles is over all of that. He's been the number one globalist in the world since his investiture in July, in investiture in July, 1969. So mm -hmm. let me share my screen and let's go into sure. him and what he's over. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
got to figure out how to share my particular screen. Does it just share the screen that I'm talking on? All right, so this is where I asked God to show me who and what was being spoken of biblically. You're seeing Revelation 13 displayed, right? Yes. yes okay. So in this chapter, there are two beasts, one from the sea, one typically described as from the earth. The first one is commonly understood to be the foretold Antichrist. This will be over the global government for three and a half years. The second typically thought to be the false prophet who are working tandem with the Antichrist, both under the devil. Mm-hmm. We're talking right now about this first one. And in verse two, it gives us this interesting imagery. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon Mm -hmm. gave him his power throne and great authority. Now in Revelation chapter 12, that dragon is described as Satan. So it talks about a great dragon that's cast out from heaven, a serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the world, Mm -hmm. and it is a fiery red dragon. So here we have it here, a great fiery red dragon, okay? And some of these verses can be translated a little bit better from the Greek than what you're reading here, and I address that in the book. Nice. But ultimately, all these things that are described, like the seven heads, the horns, etc., are on Charles heraldic achievement. We're going to come back to that, which was on the cover of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea. So we'll return to that in a moment. Continuing with this imagery, though, my point is that dragon is a fiery red dragon that gives this beast his power, throne, and great authority, and is explicitly identified as Satan and as a serpent who deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. So when we get down to verse 18 of Revelation 13, In context, it's talking about the beast. In context, that's that first beast, the one that arises out of the sea. Not the one from the earth, but the one from the sea. In other words, the one that has the feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, Mm -hmm. to whom that fiery red dragon or the devil gives his power, throne, and great authority. So this is where Christians typically have gone wrong, Christians and non-Christians. If they look at this verse at all, Typically, the only thing they remember is the number 666, right? Right, right. Yeah. And when they try to do a calculation, if they go that far, they'll go and say, gee, what kind of system can we come up with to do a calculation to try to show that this evil ogre who we're entertaining is possibly the Antichrist? (laughs) Saddam Hussein, Barack Obama. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the list is endless, right? (coughs) Right. Whoever the boogeyman is. Yeah, Hitler. (laughs) You know, right. this person's name calculates to 666. What system uh-huh. can we can we derive or contrive or yeah. discover? Can we employ to yeah, get AMR Can we in? employ? Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's dissect this verse just a little bit. So the first thing is it says, here is wisdom, let him who has understanding. In other words, besides this beast that the verse is addressing, for whom the calculation is to be done, uh, and besides this man, you know, which is the beast. Besides that, there's another person, which is the one who has understanding. In other words, according to this verse, there'll be someone, at least one person, who does have understanding from God and wisdom from God and does the calculation for the actual Antichrist of Scripture, the actual first beast of this chapter. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, Scripture is telling us someone will know ahead of time 
who the Antichrist is, who this person is, is going to be over the global government. Now, the next point is it tells us that we're to calculate the number of the beast. And then it says for it is the number of a man, right? Right. So before we can do the calculation, the imagery of that beast has to, in some fashion, associate with the man for whom the calculation is to be performed, right? Okay. That's the first way that everyone has gone wrong historically. They've always right. divorced that imagery from the person for whom they're trying to do the calculation. And so as I point out when I you know, discuss this topic, it doesn't matter what the calculation turns out to be. It doesn't matter what system you use whether it's total nonsense or it's the actual biblical system, even if it turns out to 666, whatever you're doing to calculate it, it's completely irrelevant, completely wrong. <laughs> if the imagery of that first beast, uh, in other words, the beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion to whom the dragon gives his power, throne and great authority. Yeah. If that imagery is not present for the man in question, right? Don't even bother to do the calculation. You're wasting my time. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. You know, you're wasting everyone's time. Yeah. So in other words, that imagery is the context for the calculation. If it's not present, don't bother. Yeah. Okay. That's your first but step it, is to make sure that imagery is there. Yeah. But yeah. when it is present, you're now authorized biblically. In other words, you have the authority to try to do the calculation. Now, there's only one human being in the history of the world to have the imagery. And that's Prince Charles. And what you're looking at here on the cover of the book is the imagery. Yep. And so let me describe uh, what we're seeing. This is called a Dexter beast. This is called a sinister beast. You can see the red dragon here mm -hmm. in what's called a compartment. Okay. Okay. This beast has exaggerated feet like the feet of a bear, body like the body of a leopard, mouth like the mouth of a lion it's like 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 in revelation 13. right these are yep. similes in other words yeah. it's not the actual feet of a bear necessarily it's not the actual body of a leopard necessarily mm -hmm. it's not the actual mouth of a lion necessarily close approximations like, yeah it, it evokes that imagery in our mind in other words when we yeah. see it it's evocative you know it's these are similes yep they bear resemblance strong enough resemblance to Make us think of those things. So if we were to compare this lion, which isn't actually a lion, it's a lion leopard bear, this beast, to the lion on, say, uh, Queen Elizabeth II's heraldic achievement, her coat of arms, which anybody can go look up on the internet. Mm -hmm. She had a normal lion. Yeah. Not this beast that has the strange proportions. Now, this lion leopard uh, is is uh unusual it's not unique in history but when you add to it feet like the feet of a bear it's completely unique to charles no one else has ever had it including his own sons wow now there's a graven there are two graven versions two cast iron in appearance versions of this heraldic achievement this is the artistic version this is the official version that was shown to the world in july of 1969 at charles investiture as prince of wales this version that's on the cover of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea was on the printed brochures, the order of service, if you will, that was given to everyone attending the investiture at Cairn Arbonne Castle in July of 1969. It was also on memorabilia sold at the investiture, meaning plates and cups 
mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, in medallions like silver coins, but medallions. They also had the uh, heraldic achievement of Charles on those. Some of them. So in other words, this imagery was first publicly shown to the world in July of 1969. This artistic version of the coat of arms, which is the official formal version from the College of Heraldry in England, was first shown to the world at the investiture in July of 1969. That was in Cairnarvon Castle in Wales. It was the most widely viewed event in the history of the world at the time, rivaled only by the landing on the moon in the same month. Oh, wow. By the United States. (laughs) Wow. Same month. So uh, the graven versions, and there are graven versions of this that are actually made from plaster but painted to look like cast iron, and they're quite large, mm-hmm. were hung over the entrances to Cairn Castle and the gates, some of them, at the investiture. And on those, there were two versions of this Dexter beast. And on both of them, it actually has bear's claws on the feet. And I show that in this second edition of the Antichrist of Cup of Tea. Those images were not easy to, to acquire. In fact, I couldn't get them in good enough quality uh, when the first edition was published in 1998. I have yeah. them now. And so you can see even more plainly, more clearly, in other words, that these are bear's feet, yeah. you know, like in that they actually have bear's claws uh, in those two graven versions of this Dexter based, which is why I bring all that up. The red dragon here is the actual red dragon of scripture, identified as Satan. This particular symbol, this particular version of the red dragon, which has been used by Wales for a long time and was adopted in 1953 as Wales' national symbol, uh, goes back to the standards of the Roman courts occupying ancient Britannia, initially ancient, uh, what became ancient Wales. And then from there to those occupying ancient Judea. So I give that history and talk about it in the second edition of the Antichrist mm. Cup of Tea. I do also mention it in the first edition. I give more information on it in the second edition. But the point being that this particular red dragon is arguably the red dragon of Revelation 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. You know, identified as Satan. And it's the national symbol of Wales. So Charles being Prince of Wales is Prince of the Red Dragon. Prince right. of Satan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Satan's prince. He was facing this red dragon when the coronet was placed on his head to coronate him, Prince of Wales. Wow. In July 1969. His mother was also facing it when she put the coronet on his head. Yeah, you know, they were both facing the red dragon directly. You know, uh, so there were three gray Welsh slate thrones at the center of Cairn Arvon Castle on the platform where the investiture transpired. On a round disc, a, a saucer-shaped disc, you know, harking back to both druidry and UFOs, <laughs> interestingly <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> and one of those thrones in the center of the disc had a backrest, and that was the Queen's. The other two did not. So the thrones were for Prince Charles, uh, the Queen, and Prince Philip. The one that had the backrest was the Queen's, and engraved on it was this dragon. And behind it, were huge red dragon banners hung on the castle wall directly behind that throne. So the queen stood up from that throne, placed the coronet on Charles' head as he knelt before her facing the backrest on her throne and also facing the red dragon banners behind her. Wow. And behind her throne. 
And then on the opposite castle wall behind Charles' back, facing the queen as she faced Charles, were more huge red dragon banners, which she directly faced. And then on either side of them to their left and their right were additional red dragon banners hanging on the interior of the castle walls. And they were also hung on the exterior walls at the gates, the red dragon banners were. The red dragon was the central symbol of the whole event. Mm -hmm. And the mascot for the investiture was a goat. Really? So the red dragon and a goat preceded the royal party, including Charles, to the castle. Wow. For the investiture. And on the goat was draped the red dragon. Huh. <laughs> the goat was actually carrying the red dragon. So besides having a Welsh flag, a Welsh standard, you know, with the red dragon mm -hmm. on it preceding the goat. That's a nice uh, uh, symmetry to uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, sort mm, of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's yeah, a nice very much satanic inversion, a black Powerful mass symbolism. version of. Yeah. yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Yep. So mm. Charles became the prince of the red dragon on that day. And when he recounted, you know, the coronet being placed on his head to coronate him prince of Wales in his biographies, he recounted it. He's quoted as saying his father placed the, the uh, crown on his head. Whoops. His father gave him the, uh, the vestments, you know, as Prince of Wales. Uh -oh. He's quoted as making that statement. But the whole world could see it was his mother who did it. Mm -hmm. So who is he talking about when he said his father did it? And he said it more than once. Wow. So it's not a misquotation, in other words. Right. It's deliberate. It's deliberate. So he was acknowledging the devil as his spiritual father, I believe, in making those statements. Uh, now, that being said, Prince Charles had a call sign at that time when he was uh, you know, commanding a minesweeper and so forth. Yeah. And flying royal choppers, royal helicopters, minesweeper choppers and that kind of thing. Man, he was more of a lad than I give him credit for. I'm... Well, he, he had a call sign. You know, he wore a flight suit with the yep. red dragon patch on its shoulder. Really? On his shoulder. His call sign was red dragon. And that predates his uh, investure? Is that uh, right? It was right after his investor. It, it was right after. Okay. Gotcha. Uh huh. Wow. And, and then uh, when he visits the United States, for example, his Secret Service call sign. Mm -hmm. is unicorn weird and here's where we're going to get into that so this imagery here is in revelation 13 right beast with mm -hmm. feet like a bear body like a leopard mouth like a lion to whom the red dragon gives his throne power and great authority and that's why i went into that explanation right yeah the red dragon satan the devil was the central entity or symbol of the investiture when he became Prince of Wales, with Wales having adopted the red dragon as its national symbol, he became Prince of the Red Dragon. Mm -hmm. Prince of the Devil. Right, yeah. The red dragon literally gave him his power, throne, and great authority. Wow. It's as Prince of Wales that all these things were built up under him. As the Devil's Prince. Now, so that is part of the coat of arms. Whoops. Oh, that's a fun... <laughs> um, that's we're nice. in the okay. we're in the mirror verse yeah there we go we, we are um, <laughs> very nice okay 
So let's go to Daniel chapter seven for a moment. By the way, uh, Tim, our uh, narrator is English and he takes every opportunity he can to dog on the Welsh. So he will particularly He'll love this. Love this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. All right. Well, yeah, it's going to be fun. Cairn yeah. Arvon Castle, by the way, if there were any actual castle that was uh, King Arthur's and Merlin's castle. Yeah. That would King be the Arvon one. Castle. So yeah. I did want to ask you about that. Uh, we are familiar with um, King Arthur and Uther Pendragon. Uh, the Pendragon, the dragon motif is replete throughout, you know, Lamort Arthur and the other various Arthurian mythos um, or legends. Um is that carried over into this or is that something just wholly separate that got co-opted or what? No, it, it is not directly in the investiture, but Charles wrote a book called the old man of Loctigar. Okay. For which he's talking about the old man of Loctigar, but basically that's the devil and Merlin, you know, in the oh, context of that book yeah. that he's talking about. And uh, he's written various things that give clues about his knowledge of his own identity, Charles, yeah. and his knowledge of who he is. But there are things that tie directly to Arthur, yeah, including um, the building of that castle itself. And in fact, uh, as I address elsewhere and in my, um, well, to an extent, my MHT Messiah History in the Tribulation Period multi-volume series, but ultimately in the final edition of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea. Mm -hmm. The fact that Karen Arvon Castle is actually laid out uh, significantly to mimic the old city of David. The structure. Interesting. Really? The walls wow. in the original city of David. So in a sense, wow. <laughs> where the dice, the, the disc for the investor was in the center of the castle, that's, a, that's equivalent to the Holy of Holies, if you will, and the temple area in the original city of David you know, the, the corresponding mm -hmm. placement. So there's an awful lot to the imagery uh, mm -hmm. beyond what people know or realize or understand other than, you know, what I've shared and that I cover in my books. So at any rate, getting back to this, the uh, Daniel chapter seven describes the same antichrist, the one who's gonna be over a global government for three and a half years, right. for a time, times and a half a time with totally different imagery. So in Daniel chapter seven, he's described as a horn, a little one or a little horn that has the eyes of a man. Okay. Okay. And that little horn comes up among 10 horns. And of those 10 horns, three are plucked out by the roots. Right. Right. Yeah. Christians have looked at that and they've said, okay, well, the Antichrist is going to kill three of the 10 or, you know, remove them from the scene or some such thing. Right. You know, these 10 rulers under him, that's incorrect. And I'll come back to that being incorrect in a moment when we talk about this image right here. <clears throat> so you'll notice the unicorn has human eyes. Yes. It has a man's eyes. So there's an unofficial, the most prominent unofficial version of Charles Arms, which is also shown inside of this book, The Antichrist and Cup of Tea, both the first edition and this second edition here, which, by yeah. the way, folks, you can get this book now uh, from Prophecy House. It is available. Uh, just go to prophecyhouse.com. They can order it now. It's, it's uh, 
basically in the uh, press process, if you will. Nice. So hopefully it'll be shipping in March or April this year, but in the next few months, it'll be shipping to customers. And prophecyhouse.com is the only place where people can get this book. That's the only place to get it. Nice. Right yeah. Well, okay. you're, you're too, uh, you're too dangerous for Amazon, baby. Come on. <laughs> well, I may offer it through Amazon at some point, but it won't be done right away and it may not be done at all. Yeah. For good for reasons. you. Awesome. But that being said, this unicorn has human eyes, including on the unofficial version where it's even more obvious than it is right here. And you can see that it's got a hint of a sclera, meaning an eye white. Mm -hmm. Normally on a horse, you see a, a horse or a goat or whatever, you'd see the round eye with no visible sclera. Right. Like a, a solid eye, just because you're seeing the uh, non-sclera portion, mm -hmm. the way that the eye is inset and so forth. But that's not what you're seeing here. This is a human eye. Yeah. Is what they're portraying. And it's even more obvious on the unofficial version. But Charles refers to this unicorn as my little horn, quote unquote. Really? Yeah. And he's called unicorn by our secret service. Oh, wow. These beasts represent Charles specifically on this overall heraldic achievement or coat of arms. Heraldic achievement is the formal description of what you're looking at. People typically hear the phrase coat of arms. Mm-hmm but it's officially called an heraldic achievement. And it's a, metaf it's a metaphysical occult form of artwork that's viewed spiritually speaking by those who create these as a form of living spiritual entity. Like in witchcraft, they might speak a word and think that it takes on a life of its own, that it brings something into existence, if you will. This is the artwork equivalent to that. So it's a metaphysical manifestation of whatever they're yeah try via the art they're they're portraying something in art here that they believe spiritually exists has totemic power to it yeah yeah and so cool. you'll notice this coat of arms this heraldic achievement has its own overall head right yeah. here mm -hmm. yeah okay so around the necks of these beasts is this thing that looks like three horns plucked up by the roots mm -hmm. you see it here here, oh, yeah. Wow. Here, here, and here. Mm-hmm. That's the neck of the overall heraldic achievement. And there's the head. Mm. Ten horns. A horn biblically can be shaped like a cone, like you see here on the unicorn. Mm-hmm. It can be shaped like an elephant's tusk, like you see here on the bars of this helm. This is the sovereign helm, which has always been on Charles' heraldic achievement. Yeah. It never should have been until now. It's it's supposed to only be for the monarch. Hmm. They always uh, intended him to be the monarch. It was always understood he would be. One day, they thought. I didn't actually think he was going to become king, but he has, right? Right. Well, he's we did more too. power than he even needs. But yeah. yeah. But here he is. Now he's king of England. Uh, but he still has this helm, the sovereign helm. He's always had it. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice there are seven of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the sovereign helm. Yeah. <coughs> Little horn of the eyes of a man, unicorn of human eyes. That's what it is in context in Daniel. And I explain the origin of that in the book. The actual origin of unicorns in mythology is explained in this book. But it has to do with the ancient Assyrian and Babylonian religious seals and how they portrayed the bull from the side profile. 
And they would arrange the bull and the lion and sometimes the serpent in this particular arrangement on their seals in mm. ancient Assyria and Babylonia. And that's where this arrangement for these British heraldic achievements actually originates. Oh, wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. This actually goes back to ancient Assyria and Babylonia, this arrangement. With a lion, the unicorn, in this case, originally it was a bull shown from a side profile, and the serpent or the dragon, all combined in this arrangement. At any rate, um, seven horns here, three plucked up by the roots right here. Mm -hmm. Little horn of the eyes of man comes in among them. Seven crowns on the heraldic achievement. One, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> seven. Wow. There's seven crowns on that. Wow. Ten kings represented in the center. Four lion leopard bear beasts here. They're normally lions or lion leopards for England. And these are all lion leopard bears representing the offspring, if you will, of the United Kingdom historically. Four here on the shield of Wales. Six more on the royal shield, which would normally be the only thing you'd see on a royal coat of arms. Charles has 10 because he was made Prince of Wales. So of these, seven have visible heads. Three of the heads aren't visible or too obscured, if you will. These two are obscured. This one is obscured where you can't see the eyes or the mouth or that kind of thing. This one, you can see the eyes and part of the nose and mouth here if you blow it up. You got these four, you got this one, and you got this one, seven of them, where you can make out their heads, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I was saying that these three don't go away, but I'm just pointing out the symbolism is here, right? The little mm -hmm. horn of the eyes of man of Daniel 7, the beast of the feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion, and the red dragon of Revelation 12 and 13. The ten horns, three of which are plucked up by the roots. The little horn of the eyes of man comes in among them. The crowns, the heads, it's all here on this heraldic achievement, right? Mm -hmm. So this harp represents Ireland. This is the red line of Scotland normally. This is normally a unicorn representing Scotland. The red dragon represents Wales, besides the devil. This lion or lion leopard, and here it's a lion leopard bear, ordinarily represents England. So we're talking about the coronations of the United Kingdom and the offspring that come from them historically, right? So people have looked at those symbols in scripture and thought, well, maybe they represent nations. Right. Trying to take them metaphorically, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's no such beast in nature. Maybe it'll be a chimeric hybrid or something like that. People have thought that, you know, when reading Revelation sure. 13. Sure. But it turns out the imagery literally exists and we're looking at it. Uh, both from Daniel 7 and Revelation 12 and 13. Yet it represents the core nations of the United Kingdom and the offspring coming from them historically. Now you read this top to bottom and left to right like you read a story. And that's how you're meant to read it in heraldry. Really? And this is laid out not just like a story, but as a living entity, like it's looking out at you. So from the herald's perspective, this beast, which we see on the left-hand side, is on the right side. Right. From the herald's perspective, this beast we see on the right side is actually on the left side. Mm-hmm. Right. This head is looking at you. Mm-hmm. This unicorn represents, I didn't mention this, but this is the label of the eldest son. In other words, it specifically represents Charles as the eldest son of Elizabeth II and Philip. Mm-hmm. 
So this lion leopard bear beast specifically represents Charles, not just England. This unicorn specifically represents Charles, this little horn with human eyes, not just Scotland. This red dragon specifically represents Charles, not just the devil or Wales. And that's an interesting point. It means the devil is going to become the eldest son, going to become Charles, mm -hmm. going to possess mm -hmm. him. Yeah. This overall heraldic achievement specifically represents Charles. This overall beast represents mm. Charles with the label of the eldest son there under its overall head, its neck and its head. This beast here is just an alternate version of this one. It's the same beast shown twice, an alternate version of this one. Wow. So you read this as a story. It's, it's I, the Black Prince. This is what Charles has on the gold ring on his finger that he wears everywhere to this day. Mm -hmm. The gold signet ring that he always has on his hand has this symbol on it. It is the symbol of the Black Prince. Yeah. Also known as the Prince of Darkness. Also known as the Black One of the Pseudepigrapha and the ancient apocryphal writings. Mm-hmm. The Black Prince was the founding Prince of Wales of the Order of the Garter. That's this belt that you see, or garter that you see, around the Royal Shield and the Shield of Wales and so forth. It has a motto on it that says, shame be to him who thinks ill of it, or evil be to him who thinks evil of it. <laughs> and on the actual garter, there are two rows of 169 gold buckles each. So two times 13 times 13 times 13. Hmm. Those gold buckles, each buckle represents a coven of witches. Oh, wow. And each set of 13 buckles represents a coven of a coven. And at that point, whoever's over that coven of a coven, a coven of a covens, of covens, I'm trying to say it. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. Whoever that is, is called a witch king or a witch queen. Really? And when there's 13 times that, they become a witch king of witch kings or a witch queen of witch queens. What this is symbolizing on this guard or this belt is that the British monarch of the day and the Prince of Wales of the day, who are the two highest ranking knights by birth in the order of the garter, represented by this garter symbol. And that's the oldest and most prominent order of chivalry in the world, founded in the 14th century, 1348. Wow. By Edward III and Edward the Black Prince, the King of England and the Prince of Wales of the day. Each of them, the Prince of Wales and the British monarch of the day, is considered or construed to be, in the occultism of this, a witch king of witch kings or a witch queen of witch queens. Wow. So the, the black prince was called that because he dressed all in black, not because he was a black individual. Mm -hmm. And he was viewed as a feared military commander in Europe yada yada according to the lore sure and this was his badge this was the badge of the black prince and it has on it the motto ichdian and these are three ostrich feathers and they're arranged in a pattern that's called an awan and it ties into druidry awan is a hebrew word that means wickedness or wicked one it's commonly used in fact in the hebrew old testament and it's commonly translated as wicked or wickedness or wicked one and this symbol, Awen, it's, it's actually called the Awen symbol in Neo-Druidry and Classical Druidry, is a counterfeit of the Hebrew letter Shin. And it oh, represents yeah. multiple things besides wickedness, including a counterfeit trinity, if you will. 
the devil, the false prophet, the antichrist is how Christians typically think of it, but it's really the devil, the antichrist, and demons and fallen angels who possess people to speak through them as the mm -hmm. counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But the motto, Ik Dien, is I serve or your man, depending on whether it's Welsh or Greek. This shield here is called the shield of the Black Prince. This is the badge of the Black Prince. This is the shield of the Black Prince. And these are supposed to be gold Bezant's crusader coins from the time of the Crusades. These 15 uh, coins here. Mm -hmm. But it reads, I, the Black Prince, serve the devil. <laughs> wow. Serve Satan. Or I, the Black Prince, serve Satan. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the story this is telling. The yeah. order of the garter is over organized witchcraft. And this garter came from the Countess of Salisbury originally. Mm. Edward, the, the Black Prince, was at a ball in the 1300s. She dropped, this is the lore, she dropped her garter at the ball. He picked it up and rather than having her executed as a witch, because it was a witch's garter, a witch's belt, you know, with the buckle on it, <clears throat> she was she was a she was a witch over a coven. Rather than having her executed, he picked it up and declared he would make it honorable throughout the world. Whoa! And he made it the central symbol of the Order of the Garter. Whoa! That wow. Order of Knighthood. There are twenty-four companion knights, and then there are other knights in the Order of the Garter. Twelve under the Prince of Wales of the day. Twelve under the the uh, British monarch of the day. Um. And there are other orders of chivalry under the British monarchy. This is the most prominent and the oldest one. But in this order, you have the nobility, the royalty of the other major royal houses of the world. So, for example, uh, Japan, uh, this is my famous, this is my favorite example. Japan's emperor, Hirohito, mm -hmm. was a knight in the order of the garter before World War II. No way. That is interesting. Yeah. The guy the Japanese viewed as their god, yeah. their emperor. Yeah, was a knight under the British monarchy <laughs> before World War II. Before World War II, <coughs> and he was kicked out during the war, and he was brought back in after the war. Really, Akihito wow. then became a knight in the Order of the Garter. Today, Japan's emperor is still a knight in the Order of the Garter. Mm -hmm. Wow, jeez! You know, Spain's monarch is in the Order of the Garter. Other royal houses are tied into the Order of the Garter. But anyway. It's saying that all these other major royal houses of the world acknowledge the British monarchy is preeminent over them. Mm -hmm. They do through this order and through other orders of chivalry under the monarchy. But you have organized witchcraft, organized Satanism. The Knights Templar, the Rosicrucians, the Priory of Zion, historically, all in and under the order of the Garter. Organized Freemasonry, under the order of the Garter. And I can explain how that works, but I do in the book. Um, the... The Rothschilds, Rockefellers through the modern Illuminati, neo-Illuminati tied in, you know, with the banking system and so forth under the order of the garter. The modern fake news establishment all tied in through the Committee of 300 under the order of the garter. So many other things under just this order as documented in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. Yeah, and like I said, there are other orders of chivalry under the British monarchy, but they are all control points for the monarchy yeah. for what we call the New World Order. Mm-hmm. And so with that said, let's come back here to scripture and go a little further into this. 
So we're authorized now to do the name calculation, right? We got the imagery. Charles, uh, Charles on sons don't have the imagery. They never will. You're right. Yeah. And people don't try to point it out from Wikipedia. Wikipedia has it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sometimes they have really good articles on Wikipedia. Often uh, they make mistakes. So you have to be careful. Uh -huh. And that's one area where they made a mistake. So Charles own sons, William and Harry have their own coats of arms, their own heraldic achievements. They do not have the imagery that we saw on his. They don't have the red dragon. They have a normal lion or lion leopard without these feet like a feet of a bear. They only have six lion leopards or six lions rather than 10 lion leopard bears. Their unicorns don't have human eyes. Okay, they don't have this red dragon at all. They don't have this beast. They've got a lion or a lion leopard instead. They don't have the uh, badge of the black prince. They don't have any of this stuff. Yeah. They have a lion or a lion leopard. They've got a unicorn. They've got six lions or lion leopards. They've got the harp. They've got the red lion. They don't have the sovereign's helm. With, they don't have the 10 horns with three plucked up by the roots. They don't have any of that stuff. That's Neither one of them can be the Antichrist biblically. Yeah. Don't bother doing the calculation for them. You're wasting your time. Mm -hmm. That said, I did try to do the calculation just to prove the point, <laughs> folks, and I address it in the book. But they don't calculate <laughs> to 666. Okay? Okay. It was to prove a point, not to make a fool of myself. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times people are out there. Yeah, a lot of people are out there making fools of themselves saying, well, I think it's William. <laughs> got to be William. Uh -huh. well, I've heard it's William, right? Of, okay. of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pay attention, folks. For you who think it's William, unplug your ears, take off the blinders, pay attention here. So Charles has the imagery. Now we can do the calculation. So the next error that people have made, you know, apart from trying the calculation on all sorts of people and always being wrong, which we should mm -hmm. expect since those people didn't have the imagery is they've invented or contrived a numbering system. So today there are a lot of people, for example, out there saying the Pope is the Antichrist, right. right? And they tried to ascribe a title to something he wears on his head to a mitre and claim that it calculates the 666 on a Roman numerals-based system that they've contrived, right? Right. So the first problem is that's not the biblical system. The second problem that it seems oddly everyone seems to miss is that they've tampered with the name. They've actually substituted a V for a U hmm. in the title that they're trying to ascribe to the Pope hmm. and trying to allege its use you know, by lots of popes historically. Mm -hmm. So they've tampered with the name and used a contrived system to try to calculate to 666. Neither of those is valid, you know, including the letter substitution. The third thing they've done is uh, ascribed that, that uh, supposed title, which isn't a real title because they've tampered with the spelling, to the papacy and to popes generally, when in fact, historically, it's not that. There's zero historical evidence for their claim. None whatsoever. So it's not a real title by any stretch of the imagination, in other words. So you've got all these Seventh-day Adventists out there putting that forward, saying the pope is the Antichrist, right? All right, yeah. You know, like drones <clears throat> making mm -hmm. that claim unthinkingly. And I actually confronted a Seventh-day Adventist who was promoting that stuff and selling merchandise based on that stuff not too long ago. And of course, he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't hear any of it. He, he basically wasn't interested in seeing the real evidence, which I offered to give him. And by the way, folks, I don't make money on this. 
you know, every purchase goes toward furthering this effort. Mm. I've lived now for years and years on the money that I saved working in IT. And nice. I described some of my background in IT uh, in the first part of this interview, or it might be the part mm -hmm. of interview, depending on how the ultimate ed editing goes. But yeah. in any case, uh, point is, I need the help to get this now into the hands of the world. And I'll come back to why that's important at this time in history now, finally. Yeah. The time has come for it. It hadn't come till now, till this past year, you know, till Charles rose to the throne. And I'll come back to why that is uh, shortly. But I'm inviting you to donate to Prophecy House to um, a nonprofit that I'll be forming soon. But Prophecy House is, is the publisher to help with the publishing effort, the distribution effort. If there's somebody out there who wants to give the funds to put this book or other materials you know, of mine in the hands of Christians, including pastors throughout the world, do it you know, and we'll do it at cost we'll give it away for free nice and ship it to them around the world for free in print yeah. okay physically you know awesome. get a hold of me through prophecy house and let's do it if you've got the resources i'm asking you to help yeah. if you can't do that then do what you can because everything you give goes toward this effort and enables it to be furthered you know, That's awesome. a lot of people through this including that solar apocalypse material that i talked about previously that we'll talk about more at another time so, you know, to win people, in other words, who think the aliens made mankind rather than God. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. To give them the real evidence and to do it in a biblical context and to win them to the truth. In other words, to the real God. Yeah. To give them what they've been seeking, but from Christian hands and in a biblical context. Yeah. All right. So that being said, the numbering system is not something that we're free to invent or contrive. So that's the other error people have made. The underlying Greek text from which 666 is translated identifies the system for the calculation. And to my knowledge, other than me and Monty Judah, I don't know any other Christian who's ever pointed that out. You know, some native Greek speakers who read the New Testament in Greek, mm -hmm. who are reading specifically the received text or the majority text, not the corrupt Nestle Allen text but the received text and majority text, they would have seen the system used to specify 666. Mm -hmm. But it's written with a form of three Greek letters, one for 600, uh, a second for 60, and a third for six. It's not written in the form of Greek words in the underlying Greek. And it's one of only a couple numbers like that in the book of Revelation. The other uh, number like that is 144 for the 144,000 sealed Israelites. Other numbers right. in the Apocalypse and in the New Testament are written in the form of Greek words. Mm -hmm. So that's a special thing that the Lord inspired to identify the system for the calculation. Interesting. So I show the system in the book, and I'll show it here for the audience. And then I'll come back to show something about this unicorn. I may be going the wrong direction here. I uh, always get it backwards. Hmm. Um, so this is a page out of the first edition of the Antichrist a Cup of Tea. <clears throat> this system is based on the initial English one from Monty uh, Judah, which um, he shared with me in 1987 after I asked God to show me who and what was being spoken of in Revelation 13, which he and some programmers in Martin Marietta uh, put into a computer program, you know, and they threw in a bunch of names of world leaders and royal houses and so forth, and they came out with one that was 666. And that was Charles, Prince of Wales, on the English version of this system. 
So in the Greek text, um, we have uh, this character for 600. Mm -hmm. We have uh, this one for 60. Okay. And we have this one for six. Okay. Now you would think that we should do the calculation in Greek from that, right? Perhaps. Sure. It's not possible. And I'll come back to why that is. It's a very strange thing. But the system was transferred from the original Hebrew system historically to Greek. And it was transferred sequentially, not phonetically. So that set a precedent to be able to transfer that original Hebrew system to any language sequentially, not phonetically. And to do the calculation on a word or a name natively in a language without transliteration or translation in general. So with no tampering, in other words. Okay. Yeah. No jimmying. Mm -hmm. So the original Hebrew system, Hebrew has 22 characters or hieroglyphs. They're actually all hieroglyphs. Yeah, and the system is 1 through 9, 10 through 90, 100 through 400, and it cuts off right there because there are only 22 characters in Hebrew. Right. And this is the original biblical numbering system. But in Greek, when they transferred it sequentially in the perhaps the 2nd century BC, whenever it was done, before the New Testament was penned and the system was used in Revelation 13, 18, in Greek, they expanded it to include 500 through 900. And so 600 was added, and that's used in the Greek text of Revelation 13, 18 to give us 666. Okay? So here's the problem. In English, if you go with mixed case, it doesn't matter what the case of a letter is. The sequence of the letters remains the same, right? Right. So lowercase b has the same value as uppercase b, even though you've transferred the number sequentially. Sure. Hebrew, there is no mixed case. You've got the character, and in some cases, you've got final characters that are they're not the same thing as upper and lower case. So you've got mem and final mem, for example. Mm, here. Right, right. So you don't have mixed case in Hebrew, so not relevant for Hebrew. In Greek, you have mixed case, but the order of the letters is not consistent. So if you spell oh. the same word in Greek, in all uppercase or all lowercase, you get different values. Huh. If you spell it with mixed case, you get a third different value. Or perhaps multiple different values. So wow. God used the Greek version of the system to specify the system to use. <laughs> At the same time, he made it impossible to use that system. <laughs> forcing us to use a different language. Mm -hmm. To actually transfer the system sequentially. <clears throat> wow. And as it turns out, the title Charles, Prince of Wales on the system transferred to English with the expansion works out to exactly 666. Yeah. If that's the only thing you had, mathematically, that's close to impossible, statistically, right. because of the number of values involved. So here's another way to look at it. Prince Charles of Wales in English, you can see the number of values involved, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly 666 in English. Wow. Well, it turns out the exact same system on the, the original Hebrew system with the exact same title, Charles, Prince of Wales or Prince Charles of Wales. doesn't matter how you order it. In Hebrew, it's Nasik for a prince of, uh, who's an heir apparent, a prince. Nasik, Charles, that's transliterated, you know, Charles. 
Mem is for of in Hebrew, whales, transliterated for whales or whales. The Sikh Charles Mavales. So not translated, not transliterated, pardon me, and then transliterated where necessary for Charles and Wales. But this is the official spelling given in the modern Israeli press. So no tampering, in other words. Oh, interesting. That same title, Charles, Prince of Wales, on the original Hebrew system, works out again to exactly 666. Wow, man. Wow. Now you actually are in the territory of impossibility. Right. Yeah. Not even statistical improbability. We are. Now, if you try to do that on purpose, you'll fail. <clears throat> yeah. You know, even making up names, you'll fail. Right. Yeah. There's no you way know. to craft that. You can't know. So, so two titles, same system, no tampering, biblical numbering system, exactly 666. Now, if that's all we had was the imagery on this name calculation. Oh, let me go back to the imagery here. That's enough by itself to say Charles definitively is the Antichrist, according mm -hmm. to scripture. You need nothing more than that. To prove it biblically yeah and that's why scripture doesn't specify anything more than that to prove it biblically yeah now there are people who will look at other things and say well he's got to be able to deceive israel into thinking that he's the antichrist right mm -hmm. so he's going to be a descendant of king david he's got to be able to claim to sit upon david's throne mm -hmm. or something like that they'll say that because it makes sense biblically but scripture doesn't say that Right? Is it a biblical requirement? Actually, no, it's not. Okay. But as it turns out, the British monarchy officially claims to sit upon the throne of David. <laughs> of course they do. Queen Elizabeth II <laughs> was coronated queen of thy people, quote unquote. Queen of thy people, Israel, quote unquote. Oh, wow. That's on her official lineage chart. Wow. And the chart, by the way, is offered by Prophecies. Let me show Prophecies' site. For a moment mm -hmm. sure sure the site needs work but uh, anyway everything's easy to find for the moment here it's very easy to navigate i was digging around on this this, yeah. uh, this past week yeah yeah so the qe2 chart is queen elizabeth ii's official lineage chart published in london mm -hmm. it's offered with the book so people can get this big small text chart mm -hmm. and see the actual claims of the british monarchy to sit on david's throne on it yeah wow in print <laughs> <laughs> published in London. Yeah. Okay. Whoops. Well, I did it again. Um, I like to do that, I guess. Let's see here. <laughs> I'm in the mirror verse. <laughs> yeah. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper it's and deeper. Yeah. It's <laughs> hilarious that they don't even bother hiding that. Yeah. The zooming or the, the mirror no. verse? <laughs> no, I meant, uh, I'm sorry. I meant the, the chart. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the lineage, chart. The, yeah. the lineage chart. You know, they don't even, I mean, they don't even make an attempt, you know? Well, how could they? I mean, the bottom line is, I don't think they had any idea that Charles Prince of Wales calculates to 666 on the biblical system. Really? Yeah, when they created the heraldic achievement. So people will look at this too. Um, let me go back to the uh, the book cover, pardon me. They'll look at this and think somebody could just make this up, right? Now, I pointed out that mathematically you can't make up the name calculation. Right. You also cannot make this up. There are laws, international laws, that apply to heraldry. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And this heraldic achievement was created by the College of Heraldry in London under the Garter Herald King. And he's called Garter Herald because he uses this Garter mm-hmm. symbol. He's, he's a member of the Order of the Garter. And he's the Garter Herald King who is the top herald in the world. And he's the head of the College of Heraldry in England. And he was a participant in Charles Investiture's Prince of Wales. Wow. The top herald where this coat of arms was first shown to the world. But anyway, he and the other heralds of the College of Heraldry in England, who are subject to the international laws of heraldry around the world, created this coat of arms. And they did it by taking some of the symbols of Queen Elizabeth II's heraldic achievement as queen, some of the symbols of Prince Philip's heraldic achievement as prince, mm-hmm. and combining them like you'd, commit, you know, like you'd take the sperm and the egg and make a unique human being. Yeah. And then by adding unique symbols for Charles, like the red dragon here, like the badge of the black prince, mm-hmm. like the shield of Wales. Yeah. Okay. Like the eldest son label. It's all very methodical and specific. All of it's very, very intentional. Even the placement of the limbs is intentional. Of course, I cover all this in the book. Yeah. Even the length of the tails means something. Every detail that you're looking at has a meaning. Yeah. And I go into all of it in the book as an expert on heraldry, which I became to do (laughs) this book. So you'll notice the lion's paw here is pawing the harp. Mm -hmm. The harp represents Ireland. What was happening in 1969 between England and Ireland? Oh, right. Yeah. The troubles. The troubles. Yeah. Correct. And that's what they're symbolizing right here. Wow. But also this harp represents King David's harp. Yep. They there took it, it from the harp carried away from the second temple, you know, yep. ostensibly, you know, on the Arch of Titus, the design there, mm-hmm. it's supposedly the Davidic harp. So Ireland adopted it as their national symbol. So another claim to descent from King David, if you will, wow. intimated. Every detail has meaning. This chain on the unicorn. I was going to ask about that. It's called a restrainer in heraldry. Huh. Huh. Oh boy. And this where it's tied to the compartment in which we see the red dragon, the abyss tied here. It's called restrained. Mm-hmm. This restrainer is restraining the unicorn. The unicorn is restrained. Wow. By the restrainer on the most prominent unofficial version of this same heraldic achievement shown in the book. The unicorn rears back, takes on a very, very deathly appearance, very demonic, very deathly appearance. Really? It rears back. It lifts this hoof off the compartment so it's not touching the compartment anymore. Yeah. Or the coat of arms. The red dragon touches the compartment here. In other words, the red dragon, which isn't touching anything here Mm -hmm. on the official version, is touching the compartment. So the unicorn rears back suddenly and is no longer touching the compartment with its hoof. Yeah. The chain is loosed. So the chain is no longer mm. bound. The unicorn is loosed. It's not restrained. Wow. What it's symbolizing, in other words, is the possession of the little horn of the eyes of man by the devil mm-hmm. so that he's no longer restrained. The son of perdition no longer being restrained, Second Thessalonians 2. Well, that unofficial version 
that you're referring to become the official version at some point? It's coronation this year, maybe. So I said this was mystical, metaphorical artwork, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's occult. It's meant to represent something living spiritually. Yes. Yeah. This overall corporate beast, if you will, so far as the occultists are concerned, is a living entity yeah. in the spiritual realm. Yeah. It's also a prophetic one. Mm -hmm. They put the sovereign helm here from the beginning because they expected Charles to become king. Yeah. And to be over a global government. Yeah. They did the other stuff on the unofficial heraldic achievement, and maybe they produced it. I'm assuming they did, even mm -hmm. though it's not the one that was shared in 1969 with the world initially. The changes that were made are prophesying the future, and that's the uh, point I'm making. I see. Okay, gotcha. They are so telling us the spiritual state at the start of the Great Tribulation. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Man, that's Or awesome the devil stuff. possesses the little horn of the eyes of man. <clears throat> yeah. And he's no longer restrained as the yeah. son of perdition, as the son of destruction. Wow. Second Thessalonians 2 being fulfilled. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fulfilled. It isn't yet. So you'll notice the color of this unicorn. It looks pale or ashen, right? Mm -hmm. And again, folks, anyone tuning in now, go back and listen to this whole thing. But you can get this book. You can order it right now. And this is the cover of the first edition, but you can actually go to the second edition, right? From Prophecy Asks, in the very near future, these prices are going up because the publishing costs have increased. Yeah, It's now yeah. uh, in the printing stage, printing phase. Mm -hmm. It'll ship soon. Get it now and you'll save a few dollars, but this is the time to get it. Oh, pardon me, didn't mean to show that, but people can see how I do my camera. <laughs> 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 All right. Yeah, my little magic yeah. behind the scenes. All right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So behind here we the go. Scenes. The unicorn Stuff. behind the scenes. Yep. Pulled the curtain away for a moment. So <laughs> the unicorn here is <clears throat> looks gray or ashen, right? Yeah. This is the CMYK coloration, cyan, magenta, yellow, and key, K for key or black. The color that you would normally see used for printing the cover of a book. Yeah. You know, or some of the older magazines, for example, in offset or lithographic printing. And it's not as broad a color spectrum as RGB, like we see on our color display here, mm -hmm. red, green, blue, or even some of the newer, broader still spectrums. Yeah. Like RGB might be used for a magazine cover. Okay. Okay. What I'm saying is this is the wrong color for the unicorn, the little horn of the eyes of man. It's what you'll see on the printed book. Well, pardon me. Older and <laughs> handsomer. All right. So I need to put up a better image of this at some point, but this is the real coloration right here. So you'll notice the white background here. Mm -hmm. This is a CMYK, uh, version of the same cover okay of the first yeah. edition same cover as the first edition just uh lower quality because of how this image was produced but anyways rgb color rather than cmyk you can see it's still white back here but it mm -hmm. isn't white gray here it's now pale green gray right see the green shoe yep well as it turns out 
Uh, Revelation 6, verses 7 to 8, where it describes the uh, fourth horseman of the apocalypse. Or you might read that it's a pale horse. Mm-hmm. And some other translations might say gray. And horse, by the way, can be unicorn. It can be Pegasus. It can actually be all those things. Yeah. In the Greek. But a pale horse. Yeah. It's, it's actually, actually pale green be, gray. Yeah. It's yeah, like a meaning, necrotic color, yeah. actually. It's the color of rotting human flesh. Yes. Necrosis. Is the meaning of it. Yeah. Yep, like, like pale green gray mm-hmm. is the actual meaning of the Greek Oof. text. Yeah. I think Gary Wayne has talked about that before, too. Yeah. 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 As it turns out, oh, I did it again. I, I must like to do that a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. As it turns out, that's the exact coloration of this unicorn. That's Charles is the fourth wow. horseman of the apocalypse. <laughs> and you will is. search in vain to find a horse or a Pegasus or a unicorn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or anywhere on the planet in any medium whatsoever that has this coloration. Mm-hmm. And here it is on the heraldic right achievement has the first beast and the little horn in the eyes of man and yep. the red dragon there in Daniel 7 and Revelation 12 to 13. Gosh. Wow. What are Tim. the odds? Compelling stuff, man. That is wow. amazing stuff, Tip. That is a killer, killer presentation. And awesome there's another stuff. killer thing here. Well, let me go back. Who's that handsome devil? <laughs> oh, thank you. Not a yes. devil, but... Like that in Lord's kingdom again. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yep. I know that feeling. <laughs> All right. So this statue was created after the first edition of the book was published. This did not exist in 1998. When the first Weird. edition of the Antichrist and kept was published. And that book was a bestseller, by the way. Yeah. Sold tens of thousands of copies, and then I let it go out of print for different reasons, but that's what I allowed. And God didn't allow it to become a millions of copies seller. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't interfere with Charles' rise to power. I mentioned that things changed last year, a mm-hmm. bit earlier in this conversation, this interview. What changed was two things. Um, an event that happened in Birmingham, England. That's the, the main thing that changed. Yes. And then six weeks later, Charles becoming king of England. But with that event in Birmingham, England, uh, the Lord impressed on me, you know, by the Holy Spirit, I realized Charles can no longer stop. He can no longer be stopped. We passed the point of no return, in other words. His control is so complete now of the globe that he cannot be stopped, even though the global government isn't in place yet. In other words, it's no holds barred now. I also can no longer be stopped. Meaning I'm no longer restrained personally. Yeah. Making this known to the entire church globally. Yes. You know, when the first edition of the Antichrist Nicopity came out in 1998 and sold tens of thousands of copies, hundreds of thousands of people around the world, you know, subsequently learned about Charles as the Antichrist. But most people in this country still haven't heard. Right. The time has come for that to change. Yet we're now at that time. So a lot of people are going to watch this interview. A lot of people are going to share it as well as others that I'm doing. Uh, But the point is, this thing happened in the early 2000s, this statue. It has Charles' face. Interesting. This is his head. 
on the base of it is inscribed the phrase savior of the world with British spelling. Whoa. S-A-V-I-O-U-R of -hmm. the world. Charles is here portrayed as an angelic figure Uh dressed only in a loincloth, standing atop a mass of human bodies, one drinking a bottle of wine, looking up to him as savior of the world. Wow. This photograph was taken by the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC. They published it in the early 2000s. It was commissioned by uh, the state government of Tocantins in central Brazil on the outskirts of a rainforest there to hail Charles as the environmental savior of the world. And this statue was presented to Charles in person. This is the miniature version. There's a full-size version of this statue in a crate somewhere that is ostensibly 10 cubits in height, meaning the same height as this, the Cherubim statues that went on either side of the Ark of the Covenant in the second temple. I've heard you mention this on other interviews, but I have not actually seen it. And seeing it now is, it's so much more It gives me goosebumps looking at it. It does. Yeah. That is horrifying, Tim. In Daniel 9.27, and I go into the details of this in the Antichrist and a cup of tea, mm-hmm. in the second edition, this specific statue is what's described as the idol in Daniel 9.27. Okay. It's actually describing an angelic figure without spread wings, dressed only in a loincloth, in the root words of Daniel 9.27. Mm. Furthermore... When it talks about confirming a covenant or a treaty, yeah, the Hebrew word used there is gabor, and confirm is a poor yeah. translation. The word gabor means literally to make strong or strengthen. Mm-hmm. By implication, it means to impose or enforce. Mm-hmm. In other words, Israel might not even sign the thing. Israel's enemies might not sign it. We don't know. But it will be imposed or enforced under this prince of Roman lineage, this ruler of Roman lineage, in this case, Charles. Man. Okay. Well, where I'm going with that is the word Charles, the name Charles in Germanic languages, literally means strong man or to make strong. Oh, wow. Are you getting it? Yeah. Yeah. This statue is the one described. Yeah. And the person who's imposing or enforcing the treaty, his name means imposer and force or so make strong. Like, he's like Nimrod. He is going to make himself as a Gaborim. It, it's it's this guy. Yeah, it's this guy and this wow. statue described in Daniel 9.27 is my point. That's amazing. Wow. It's not some other statue. Yeah. And it gets even more interesting than that. So the statue that you know desecrated the temple. Uh, in the second century BC under um, Antiochus the fourth, and I, I know I'm butchering his pronunciation. So for you Greek speakers out there, don't write, <laughs> to, don't write to me and tell me, well, this is how it's pronounced. <laughs> I already know. Thank you. I have the same problem every time we interview Stephen Pressfield. I butcher every Greek name. You know. Well, you know, and it's like saying Saxe Coburg Gotha. You know, as a German name <laughs> yeah. before uh-huh, it was the yeah. House of Windsor for the yeah. the British monarchy. If you yeah. hear the real pronunciation of Saxe, Coburg, Gotha, or Gotha, it sounds nothing like what I just said. I mean, or, or like, like in it. in the gun world, whenever we uh, whenever we actually say H and K's name, you know, 
heckler and cock you know and everybody and everybody dances around it heckler and coke heckler and coach heckler and you know yeah yeah it's yeah. it's anything but you know so yeah i get it yeah, yeah. solidarity brother yeah. that's what i'm saying Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but the point is antiochus placed an idol you know in the temple in the holy of holies besides sacrificing a pig on yeah. the altar and the romans and the greeks antiochus being a greek antiochus the fourth uh, you know, who desecrated the temple and as a consequence, it had to be cleansed. And then we got Hanukkah, right? Mm -hmm. The Feast of Dedication subsequently when the temple was cleansed. The idol that he placed would have been to, uh, to Zeus. So the Romans worshipped Jupiter, the Greeks Zeus, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as the head of their pantheon of gods, you know, about a, uh, on Mount Olympus. Mm -hmm. So the way they would portray uh, Jupiter slash Zeus, you know, it was the same false god to both of those cultures, uh, typically was as uh, like a man dressed only in a loincloth mm. and often with an eagle next to him with outspread wings and sometimes with the wings on the actual statue dressed only in a loincloth. So like what you see here for Charles. Oh, wow. But this yeah. one has Charles' head. So what's really being done here? Charles is being portrayed as Zeus or Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Yep. Atop a mass of human wow. bodies. King wow. of the and gods. By the way, to redeem. Yeah. And do you know what Mount Zion is actually called in the Hebrew? No. Mount Zephon. Really? And you know what Zephon is? No. no. Olympus. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mount Zion is the real Mount Olympus. Yeah. Another reality co-opted by the fallen. Correct. Wow. And I didn't make that up. That's actually in the Hebrew text. Mount Safan oh. is an actual name title for Mount Zion wow. in Hebrew, in the Bible. So Zephon is the Hebrew word, you know, that's used in, in ancient Hebrew for what the Greeks and the Romans called Olympus. So that being said, there's more to this, you know, in Genesis three 15, uh, the seed of the serpent, in this case, the Antichrist, you know, he's got a collective seed and then an individual who represents that, the Antichrist, the seed of the devil, mm -hmm. you know, is, has his head crushed by the seed of the woman, in this case, the Messiah mm -hmm. and his collective seed historically, God's collective seed, the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. yeah. Only a woman doesn't have her own seed. The man does. The male does, right? The male has the sperm. Right. Right. So the verse in Genesis 3.15, what's called the Proto-Evangelium, is actually compassing a virgin birth mm -hmm. in, in the right. prophecy. And I've got a whole book on the Proto-Evangelium, that one verse in the Messiah history in the Tribulation Period series, because it sets forth everything in Scripture historically and prophetically, or the testimony of Yeshua, the testimony of Jesus, you know, Revelation 19.10. But where I'm going with that is this is an inversion yeah. of Genesis 3.15. <laughs> In Genesis 3.15, it's the Messiah who crushes the head of God's adversary, starting with the Antichrist. Yep. Here you have the Antichrist. Seed of the who's serpent. possessed by the devil. Yeah. Yep. Who's possessed by the devil representing Jupiter wow. or Zeus, if you will, atop the heads. Yep. Okay. Crushing the seed of man. Yeah. So... This is the actual idol. You're looking at it. 
that wow. is to be the desolation that causes abomination. This is the idol that is going to be placed atop the Temple Mount in the Holy of Holies years from now. Tim, the full-size version of it. The version that's 10 cubits in height. Yep. Now, people will argue about the, the measure of a cubit, you know, going between, you know, typically 12, 13, 14 inches or 17 or 18 or 19, typically sometimes 16 or 17. There's a whole variety of measures, measures proposed, but there are three that are particular foci, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, focus points for, for that measurement. By one of those three, and I go into the details on this uh, in the book, in the Antichrist and Cup of Tea, that full-size version of this statue is 10 cubits in height. Now, biblically, like I said, the two cherubim statues, the two angelic statues placed on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. So not the, the two little ones atop the lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant, not those. Right. The two 10 cubit high statues that were placed on either side of the Ark. And you can look this up in the Old Testament for those who are unfamiliar with their existence. They were each 10 cubits in height. Just look up 10 cubits. Just search that in the Old Testament. You'll find it. Mm C-U-B-I-T-S. At any rate, what it means is in the newly constructed holy place that will be built in the future, not too long from now, you know, when Israel restarts sacrifice and offering and so forth, the the same place that the two witnesses, you know, will be testifying outside of, the same place that will be measured off there early in Revelation chapter 11, that place... This statue is going to be in it, the full-size yeah. version. Mm. So here's my point, and I point this out in the book. And by the way, folks, you might think I'm going into an awful lot of stuff in this mm. interview, right? It's awesome. And I am. I am. But let me just say there's a whole lot more in the book. Yeah. So there, you might think you're getting an awful lot, but there is a lot more, including more evidence in the book. So you yeah. want to get the book. That said, I mean, I could talk for two weeks. On just what's in the book, literally. Yeah, Man. we would love straight. to. Uh, we got to get you I back. Mean, don't tempt us, Tim. We got to get you back. So, yeah, and that's one of about forty books I have coming. So you do want to get the book. At any yeah. rate, here's where I'm going with this. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Let's look at the verse for a moment. I love to do that. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I quit I trying do, to open a portal, just, Tim. Come on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, maybe that's the point. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's uh, that's supposed to tell me something here. All right. So, thank you. Second Thessalonians two. We get this son of perdition who is no longer restrained. At some point, we've talked about the restrainer, right? Yeah. 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 Here in verses six to uh, seven, but prior to that. You know, in connection with that, it says that this son of perdition who expo- who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Yeah, you know, well, we know the devil wants to do that, right? He wants to set his own throne above the stars of God. Mm-hmm. As we read, for example, in Ezekiel and Isaiah in the Old Testament. Yes. Lucifer wanted to do that, the day star. Yeah. Okay. So the devil wants to do that. But now he's going to possess the Antichrist as the son of perdition. Mm-hmm. So it tells us he's going to sit as God, you know, like he were the God of the creation, as if he were, mm-hmm. in the temple of God, you know, obviously on the temple mount, showing himself that he is God. So how does he sit, you know, or be placed, stand, or sit or rest 
you know, in the temple of God in that place, like the Holy of Holies? I don't know. And then look at that and show himself that he is God. Observe himself there, in other words. Media? TV? If you were to, to interpret this that way. Well, think about that. So he'll be possessing Charles as the foretold Antichrist when this verse is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. When this passage, when the time comes for it to be fulfilled, the Great Tribulation will begin at the same time. It's at that same point that Charles as the foretold Antichrist will finally be possessed by the devil. So folks, when you look at him now and you look at his personality and even though you think you might think he's this buffoon and be totally um, actually even now disconnected from reality on who Charles is. Yeah. Because the truth is you're ignorant. You've been listening to fake news media and so forth all your yeah. lives. Guilty. Yeah. Where Charles Same. is concerned. Mm-hmm. Even though you think that about him now, even though he's the number one globalist in the world now, demonstrably, provably, yeah. provably, objectively, as shown in the book, documented in the book. Yeah, as proven by you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to some further examples on that in this interview. But even though that's the case, it's important to recognize that when he is possessed by the devil, his personality will change. Yeah. You know, you might expect the evil ogre type right now. Why should you? Hmm. Think about yeah. that. Why should no. you? Yeah. Yeah. He's not yet possessed by the devil. So moving on, when he is possessed by the devil and that statue that we see, this one, mm-hmm. the full-size version is in the Holy of Holies, this newly constructed holy place as they're building some new temple. <clears throat> You know, however far along it is at the at that point in time. When Charles is possessed by the devil and he's looking at that idol with his face on the Temple Mount, what will the devil be doing? I don't know. He'll be sitting as God. The idol will be there, you know, yeah. with his face. Okay. Now he's wearing Charles' face, the same one the devil's wearing. Sitting there on the Temple Mount, looking at that idol, yeah. showing himself that he is God you know, as Zeus or Jupiter, right? Mm-hmm. The head of the so-called pantheon of quote-unquote gods. Back on Olympus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the head of the fallen angelic host, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, who are not gods, but, you know, they're pretenders. Mm-hmm. So as the head of that, showing himself that he's the God of Israel, inverting Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's my point. The idol that will be on the Temple Mount will have his face. Yeah. Yep. And he representing him as the head of the pantheon of false gods. <clears throat> yep. To the world. And, he, and since he's controlling the World Economic Forum, since he's controlling all of these depopulation agendas, he will be able to swoop in as master and comptroller and save everybody what do you think is going to happen what do you think is going to happen uh in the near future let's say this year i mean he has a coronation coming up oh yeah let's go let's get like this there we go um so what do you think is coming up for us this year in regards to charles well his coronation is supposed to be may 6th and i won't say everything about the significance of that date (laughs) it has significance to me so it's uh it's kind of strange to me that that's yeah. the date chosen. Okay. But nonetheless, uh, you know, assuming that it transpires, it's supposed to have roughly 2,000 people. His mother had 8,000. 
And her coronation at that time was the was also a widely viewed event in the history of the world. And it had the top royalty and the top politicians of the world as as uh, audience members directly there, you know, for her coronation, you know, where she was coronated queen of thy people, Israel, you know, et cetera. Charles wants a quarter of that number, roughly 2000 people is what he stated. Okay. Uh, regardless of what happens in relation to the coronation, whether it goes forth as you know, expected or not, uh, he's already king of England. And mm -hmm. as king, he ostensibly has at his disposal the greatest mass of wealth in existence on the world, you know, in this world. So people talk about Bezos or Musk, right? Yeah, or sure, Bill Gates yeah. or the combination of them and think they're the wealthiest individuals in the world. Mm -hmm. The modern mass media have looked at the crown, the wealth of the crown, the British monarchy, mm -hmm. and pegged it, you know, over the decades is between 11 and 44 billion roughly. You know, the, wow. the upper end of that are about 44 billion right now is Gosh. what they would say. Is that the real wealth? Um, no, no, it's not. Um, so all those nations that acknowledge the British monarchy as their monarchy, you know, and there are 56 nations in the British Commonwealth currently, 72 nations and territories, roughly a third of the world's population. At this point, up to a third, between a quarter and a third, roughly a third is the claim. There are over a dozen of those nations that actually have the British monarchy as their monarchy, mm -hmm. including, for example, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, yep. right? Well, what that means is that their land actually belongs to the crown. Yeah. Like the whole nation. Yep. Wow. All their landmass, all their physical resources. Mm -hmm. Technically, the populaces of those nations are just leasing it, leasing those things from the crown. Now, whether the crown could ever avail itself of all that, I highly doubt it. But technically, it would mean that the crown has tens of trillions of dollars with a T. Yeah. As its actual wealth. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that would dwarf all the, the wealthy people in the world combined yeah. exponentially. Um, yeah. yeah. All that is under Charles. Mm -hmm. More practically, perhaps, uh, he's now immune from prosecution for any crime. Wow. As King of England. Yeah. Globally. I mean, yeah. from prosecution, mm -hmm. but certainly throughout the British Commonwealth. Yeah. So there are other things. And I go into detail on all of those in a chapter dedicated to just what's changed with him as King in the second edition of the books. There's an actual chapter dedicated to that. Now I said something changed six weeks prior to him becoming King when his mother died. And this was a change I felt in the Holy Spirit. And there have been two other times when I felt an actual change in the Holy Spirit as a believer. Uh, well, the first wasn't really a change. The first was when I prayed to receive the Lord in November of 1986. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, and I felt physically felt the Holy Spirit enter me. Yeah. Never heard another person say that, Christian or otherwise. I I've never heard anybody give a testimony like that. Yeah. And I've said, you know, when I talk about this on the air, there might be others who would say the same thing, but I've never heard a person in writing or verbally say they've felt that or experienced that. But that was my experience. Then in 2008, with the Democratic National Convention, I felt mm -hmm. a change in the Holy Spirit. Oh and that God. relates yes. to the other horsemen of the apocalypse, by the way. The first and the third, but particularly the first. And I said, I've got another book coming that identifies those other horsemen. So 
Yeah. The second horseman, the fiery red rider, mm-hmm. fiery red horses rider, and that red horse I identify in my book, North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War, Behold a Red Horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll come back to that and show that in a minute. But that book is available. It's been published since 2018. 2018 is when it went to press. Been actually available to people since then. I started it in 2007. So that book also took about 11 years to write, like the first edition of The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. But among other things in that book, I addressed the war in Ukraine years before it happened. Wow. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Yep. So that's in that book. And also the wars that are yet to come. Yeah. Including the ones with North Korea and Iran and yeah, Russia and China and NATO being involved, et cetera, yep. India and Pakistan. In other yep. words, it'll quickly become World War Three once North Korea and Iran jump in. And that pertains directly to the second seal and the identity of the horse and its rider in that second seal. So that's all in that book. But I have another book coming on the first and third seals not yet mentioned on Prophecy House's site. I go into all that because um, when we talk about the imagery and Charles and the power he wields now in his wealth and what changes with him as king and all of that, in connection with none of that, have I felt a change in the Holy Spirit like I did when I received the Lord initially, when I was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and like I did in 2008. And then the next thing happened uh, this year at the event on July 28th in Birmingham, England, mm-hmm. was something Charles did. The Commonwealth the, Games? Yeah, the 2022, yeah. 22nd also, Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, England. Mm-hmm. Where he oversaw the worship of a giant Molech bull. The bull. I had it written yeah, down. Ten meters high. They rolled out this giant bull, and he's presiding over it. And yep. oh my gosh, it was. Yep, I had it right. Yeah, there. full, full-fledged, Stop multiple Luciferian yep. ceremonies where they're worshiping the devil and this yeah. bull. Yeah. And the all-seeing eye, the Tower of Babel, all literally portrayed in this event. And I've, yeah. yep. I've covered in, it in detail, by the way, for people who don't see it right now, if we don't have time, but. Uh, and we can come back and cover it, but Absolutely. I've covered it in detail in some interviews that are available on my channel. Nice. Yeah, my okay. YouTube channel, author Tim Cohen, showing actual video footage from the event. And it's yeah. stunning. But the point is, Charles oversaw that, and a third of the world's population was invited to worship the devil. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in New Age ceremonies at that event mm. where they were reconstructing the Tower of Babel. And with an actual 10 meter high bull idol in the center of it and a woman riding the beast facing this mock tower of Babel in which the serpent was portrayed writhing and coiled with the head of the serpent, this actual glowing star recomprised representing Lucifer over it. And with an actual connection to UFOs and aliens and all of that as well, where they reconstituted the battle of Los Angeles directly over the bull, mm-hmm. uh, like a flying saucer over the bull, if you will, in the Battle of Los Angeles to connect all of this, Lucifer mm-hmm. and Molech, Baal Molech worship. Mm-hmm. And by the way, people don't write to me and say, well, Molech is represented by an owl, not a bull. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Actually, Molech <laughs> was represented by both of those things mm-hmm. historically and also by some other imagery. Uh-huh. But the most prominent, in addition to the owl, was the bull. The bull. The bull. You know, for Baal yeah. and Molech. So the point is, 
the devil, Baal, Molech, etc., worshipped and and uh, symbolized both by the all-seeing eye, Lucifer, and also by this bull at this event, July 28th at the Commonwealth Games, over so which creepy. Charles presided, which he blessed, where he mm. read a scroll, you know, where unlike the Ten Commandments with Moses, he didn't cast them down and say, no, don't do that. That's blasphemy and mm-hmm. you know, idol worship and so forth. Like Moses, when he came down, you know, off Mount Sinai with the initial tablet, you know, mm-hmm. written by the finger of God. Yeah. You know, he, Moses threw it down. You know, God was going to destroy the whole nation of Israel, and Moses interceded to prevent that. You know, Exodus 32, folks, if you're going to write to me and say God never changes his mind, hmm. well, you need to be a little more familiar with Scripture. Please go read it. He's, uh, <laughs> Exodus chapter 32. Yeah. Because uh-huh. God intended to literally annihilate the nation of Israel and make a new nation from Moses' loins. Yeah. And Moses interceded to the point yep. where he said, kill me if you're going to do that to Israel. Yeah. Yeah, and God relented. He changed his mind. But the point is, God was furious with Israel. Moses was furious with Israel, even though he interceded on Israel's behalf. God wrote the Ten Commandments, right? Which Hmm. Moses was carrying. So at this event in Birmingham, England, Charles, you know, took this little scroll that was carried by sodomites and sexual Satanists, among others, Mm -hmm. to the games took this little scroll written by his mother rather than the finger of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the feminine rather than the male. Oh, the queen. Written by his mother. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and read it to the audience, you know, approving of the whole event and formally uh, opening the final portion of that mm-hmm. opening ceremony. But he was there overseeing the whole thing. Uh, he read that and he blessed the event, you know, rather than denouncing it. Yeah. The exact opposite of Moses. And of course, as the Antichrist, he's also a counterfeit of Moses, Moses being a type of Christ, right? Right. So he's the anti-Moses also, if you will. Yeah. Not just the Antichrist. That makes sense. So right after those events, something else happened. He's familiar with COP27 and what happened to Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt? No. Okay. So I haven't talked about the global climate stuff in all of this. I haven't even talked really about Charles power base and how he's running the world behind the scenes. We have talked about the hard evidence that identifies him as the antichrist, right? Mm -hmm. And there's more in the book, but we talked about the key stuff, meaning the imagery of the first beast, the name calculation on the biblical system, not a contrived system. uh, The imagery of the little horn of the human eyes, the idol, the statue that's to be placed on the temple mount, all of that, right? Okay. Well, folks, there's more. And so all of the climate agenda in the world today, literally all of it, traces to the British monarchy. Yeah. So the modern environmental movement goes back to the British Flora and Flora Protection Society of the 1800s, out of which came, in no particular order, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the World Resources Institute, the World Wildlife Fund, and then World Wildlife Funds, the various branches around the world of it, all of that traces to the British monarchy and the British Fauna and Flora and Protection Society of the 1800s. Prince Philip was over much of that prior to Charles. Then with Charles' investiture in July 1969, he quickly was over all of it. You know, and Philip continued to be heavily involved until his death, but ultimately even at, at the 
even before Philip died, it was Charles over nearly all of it. And now Charles is over all of it. So the Rio Earth Summit of the 1990s, early 90s, which was the first uh, instance in the world where there was uh, a greenhouse gases treaty, if you will, to tackle so-called so global warming and to set the trend to one day bring in this taxation mechanism to allow funding, you know, by stealth, if you will, by deception of a global government. Okay. The Rio Earth Summit. Out of that came an actual agreement. The first, it's the, it's the Rio Earth Summit agreement or treaty. Al Gore and global leaders credited Charles specifically and explicitly for the success of the Rio Earth Summit. Why? Because he personally officiated aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia at meetings that he personally initiated between global leadership prior to the Rio Earth Summit, right before it, to referee and hash out the issues that were to be addressed at the summit to ensure it would be a success. Al Gore was there aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia with Charles. Uh -huh. The president of Brazil was there at the time. Other major world leaders were there, all under Charles' auspices before the summit. And so the summit was then a success and Charles was personally credited for that. Well, that's the reason they then gave him the statue hailing him as the environmental savior of the world. Yeah. So the next thing that happened was uh, the Kyoto uh, Protocol in Japan, to which the United States would not sign, in, sign on uh, under uh, Bush and so forth. Much of the world signed on to it, but the U.S. wouldn't. And then the next thing that happened were the COP agreements, the climate agreements, mm -hmm. which stands for Committee of the Parties or something like that, a really dumb acronym, right. COP. You, you would think it would have some more, some greater meaning than Committee of the Parties, right? Right. But yeah. anyway, these are the, the United Nations Global <laughs> Climate Talks that are now happening around the world. And the major ones were COP this, COP that, uh, after the Kyoto protocol to which the U.S. did not sign on. And the big ones you'll read about in the news historically are COP 12, COP 14, COP 16, um, well, COP 15 and COP 16, then COP 21, COP 26, COP 27, uh, and then the next thing will be COP 28, right? So uh, COP uh, 21, I think it was, but anyway, I think it was 2016 held in Paris, France, the, the climate accord talks under the United Nations had the largest gathering of global leadership in one place in the whole history of the world mm. at one time in one place ever. 190 plus world leaders, 150 plus actual heads of state, uh, including, you know, Obama for the United States, et cetera. Yeah. At that event, you know, hosted in France, you would think that it would have been France's president who would have opened it or delivered the first speech or done both of those things. Or if not him, Al Gore, maybe, because people think of Al Gore typically when we talk about the modern uh, eco-fascist agenda and environmental right. movement. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Gaia, you know, Mother Earth worship, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Or maybe uh, Obama, because he was the, the president of the most powerful world, uh, nation in the world at the time, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it was Charles who opened the event. It was Charles who gave the first speech at the event. And it was Charles who was at the center of the group photo at the end of the event in the most mm. prominent position. 
Charles, Charles, Charles. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah, not even a head of state. Yeah, he was, prince, he was prince at the time. He wasn't even... Yeah, he's not even supposed to be a major George. player. Just, 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 you know, just. just. Right, yeah. Prince of Wales. Uh -huh. Yeah, just the Prince of Wales. Yeah, yeah that, that buffoon, that guy. Yeah. Why him? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the same thing. Subsequently, at COP20, COP26, which was held in uh, Scotland, right? Charles opened it. Yeah, Charles spoke at it. Well, COP27 was right after this event in Birmingham, England, right? Uh, in, uh, I believe it was mid-November of last year, roughly. Charles didn't go because now he was king. Mm, yeah. He was supposed to go. He was supposed to be there. He was supposed to speak, right? But he didn't go. So did he play a role? And what happened over the event. The event was held in Sharm El Sheikh, a resort, you know, a sea resort basically in, in uh, Egypt. And overlooking it is what the Egyptians and much of the world have called Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. but not the real Mount Sinai. The real one is in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Okay. But anyway, they're still calling it Mount Sinai. So lots of ignorant people still think that's Mount Sinai or accepted as such. Right. So that was overlooking Sharm El Sheikh where COP27 was held, which Charles didn't attend, mid-November. So, right, he wasn't involved, right? What did he have to do with it, we might wonder. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it turns out he held a meeting of about 200 of the participants in London on November 4th, days before the event. Really? To do what? To referee things, to hash out things, to make things were going to go as planned. The real meeting. And and in addition right. to them, 50 right. plus of the individuals, in addition to them, 50 plus of the individuals who were involved in the thing that happened on Mount Sinai, wow. overlooking COP27. So do you know what happened on Mount Sinai? No. And by the way, these meetings were in London on November 4th yeah. under Charles. Of course they were. So, so what happened at COP27 and on Mount Sinai, the so-called Mount Sinai? Well, the Vatican signed on, you know, after after I think it was COP15, but the Vatican signed on to this agenda under Charles, mm -hmm. this radical environmental movement. So the Pope and the Vatican are all part of this too. But on the Mount Sinai, they unveiled a new set of 10 commandments, a new 10 commandments, an, an eco-fascist based environmental oh, yes. 10 mm -hmm. commandments. Oh gosh. Yep. Yeah. And they had a few versions of that that they put out in the press <coughs> and they're all documented. You know, and who mm -hmm. is involved in the second edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea? Kind of as an addendum, if you will, to a chapter that deals with what happened in Birmingham, England. Yeah. So here in Birmingham, England, you got this fake thing in lieu of the Ten Commandments that Charles is reading from his mother mm -hmm. instead of God, you know, written by his mother. <clears throat> Charles approving of this bull idol worship, right, as if he was the one coming down off Mount Sinai. Then what? Months later, now mm -hmm. he has influenced, affected this thing that's happening on what is supposedly Mount Sinai in Egypt, mm -hmm. where an actual set of a, an actual fake set of Ten Commandments are yeah. unveiled to the world, wow. based on so-called environmentalism. Wow! And guess what those Ten Commandments also involve? A fake new Sabbath, and they're not saying it has to be the same day of the week for all the nations of the world. <clears throat> Interesting. They're saying, well, hey guys, you know, hey nations, I'm calling them guys here. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, why don't you take a day off each week? where people don't drive. Oh, right. 
people don't or use their lights. Consume fossil fuels, or maybe uh -huh. they don't use their lights. Yeah, or you keep we'll the call AC. Call it an environmental Sabbath, an right? Environmental, environmental Sabbath. Sabbath. Yep. Yeah, and what are we hearing wow. about in the United Kingdom right after that and around that? Climate lockdowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, you know where there because... are, there are counties. There are counties yeah. now where they actually are intending uh -huh. to enforce that people can't drive one day a yep. week. Yeah. Where they can't leave this, the vicinity where they live more than a few, you know, more yeah, than 100 plus days cities. in a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, where they're going to actually impose this on supposedly free people. Mm -hmm. Yep. All in the name of eco-fascism under Charles and this mm -hmm. false set of Ten Commandments and yeah. this fake new Sabbath. All mm -hmm. of that under Charles. Yeah. Well, you know, with the Moloch bull idol worship, the new Tower of Babel being constructed under him, et cetera. Yeah. And by the way, you asked me about the 10 toes on the statue, right? Yeah. Okay. What's at the top Golden of that head. statue in Daniel chapter 2? Golden head. Representing? Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. Babylon. Babylonian Empire. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar. He's that gold head. Yep. The empire is that gold head, right? Mm -hmm. And it, when you get to the Ten Toes, you're dealing with the east-west division of the Roman Empire that's now morphed into this uh, power of these Ten Toes, which are these Ten Kings, who are mm -hmm. to be under the Antichrist, three of the Ten being uprooted, plucked up by the roots. And I never did finish this point earlier, so let me return to it for a moment. There are people who think that they go away, three of the Ten, the three that are uprooted, right? So that the Antichrist becomes the eighth among ten, or yeah, the yeah, well, the eighth among seven, I mean to say. And they think three of the ten go away, and now instead of being the eleventh among ten, he's suddenly only the eighth among seven. And so that there are only seven rulers under him at that point. That's what many people tend to think. The problem is that in Revelation, in the final hour, you know, the, the hour, for example, in which Mystery Babylon gets burned. That time frame very close to Armageddon itself. So we're talking three and a half years roughly into the Great Tribulation. In other words, at the end of the Great Tribulation, there's still 10 kings. According to Revelation, there aren't seven. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are 10. So what that's telling us is that those three are uprooted, yes, but they actually come under the direct authority of the Antichrist. Yeah. Who is the head, like we saw? on the heraldic achievement, the coat of arms, yep. that gold helm yep. mm -hmm. over, over the three that are up, uh, plucked up by the roots, right? Yep. Yeah. Representing Charles. So Charles is in direct control, in other words, of three of the ten. They become his vassals. Yeah. Like vassals of a king. That mm -hmm. makes sense. And I have outlined how he will come to power, how I believe he will. I, in the Antichrist and Cup of Tea, including in the first edition, nothing has changed. Yeah. In relation to that. You know, so I outline how that's going to happen, I believe, in the book. And it remains to this day the likely scenario. And it is not a group of 10 kings. I repeat, not a group of 10 kings coming out of Europe. Mm -hmm. It is not, I repeat, not a group of 10 kings coming out of the Middle East. You know, like Rosenthal. Is it Joel Rosenthal? I forget. Sometimes they sure. get his name mixed up with sure. Rosenberg, but who's tried to popularize the idea that you get 10 kings in the Middle East and maybe a Turkey's leader arises as the Antichrist over them kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all wrong. Yeah. So what Scripture is portraying is 
five toes from the east, five from the west, that those two legs on that statue with Babylon at the top, the two legs at the bottom are the east-west division in the Roman Empire <laughs> historically, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. With those 10 toes on those two legs, today they represent the east-west division in the world. As we think of the east-west division, that's going to be a global empire under the Antichrist, okay? Right. So you get five from the east, five from the west, as we think of the east-west division in the world today. Three of the 10 will come under the direct authority of the Antichrist, plucked up by the roots. How does that work? Well, my scenario, and it could be something else, but I still think this is probably the right one, the most likely one, is an expansion of the United Nations Security Council to 10 permanent members mm-hmm. from the current five. Yep. And for decades now, they've talked about expanding the council's permanent membership. And usually they come back to an expansion to 10 permanent members. Mm-hmm. There have been a number of other suggestions, both higher and lower counts. But in general, they always manage to come back, it seems, to 10 permanent members. They've already decided who uh, three of the new 10 will be. And those are Germany, Japan, and uh, India. Mm -hmm. They've been debating the other two of the new five all this time between Mexico and Egypt and uh, Italy. um, Primarily debating them between those three and Brazil also. So that being said, Germany has already decided. What does that mean? It means one day we could wake up and see the Security Council suddenly has 10 members on it Mm -hmm. to be more, quote unquote, representative of the global population, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, with veto rights. And maybe the next day we could wake up and hear hear that, oh, uh, the European Union has decided to have its own monarchy. And so we've decided to adopt the British monarchy as our monarchy. Well, who is the monarchy, genealogically speaking, of the European Union today? Well, actually, it's the British monarchy. (laughs) They are the monarchy of England. Ironic. They are the monarchy of Germany, historically. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Their name was Saxe-Coburg-Gothard before they uh, changed it to House of Windsor. Windsor. Because Germany, you know, was involved in fomenting World Wars I and II. Mm -hmm. So German sounded a little too German. Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Right before World War II. Mm -hmm. And uh, then, of course, they are the monarchy of france historically yeah yeah they're the monarchy of greece historically mm-hmm. you know they're closest to being the monarchy of those four nations historically today but as it turns out they're the monarchy of the whole world historically just about you know yeah. in charles genealogy is the lineage of ancient pharaohs mm-hmm. ancient roman emperors ancient assyrian and babylonian kings yeah virtually every monarchy there is in europe and of course, they claim to sit upon the throne of David. Well, what about the Muslims of the world? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're looking for their Mahdi, right? Yep. Yeah. Who has to be yeah. the descendant of Muhammad? Yeah. It's not an AK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it turns out Charles is also a descendant of Muhammad. <clears throat> yep. Wow. Turns out that he also converted to Islam behind the scenes under one of the world's most prominent Sunni Muslims. So he's a Muslim. So far as the Muslims are concerned. Wow. He also has an honorary doctorate in Islamic studies from the most prominent seat of Islamic learning in the world in Cairo, Egypt. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's also the most prominent Westerner from the whole world to the Muslims of the Middle East, bar none. Yeah. 
In other words, if they choose somebody to be their Mahdi, if they were to do that, Charles would be a shoo-in. Yeah. What will they do if he receives a mortal wound and suddenly recovers from it? And is possessed by the devil. Yeah. So, so that is my point. You know, Charles has all of those lineages. Yeah. And if we see the British monarchy adopted as the monarchy of Europe, well, overnight then Charles is in control of three of the 10. Who yeah. are they? Well, both France and England are already permanent members of the United Nations Security Council. Germany would be one of the new five. Three of the 10 yeah. would be from the European Union, Germany, France, and England. Mm-hmm. And you would have the East-West Division portrayed on those 10 toes. And that is a failure many prophecy scholars have made. Just like I pointed out the failure to look at the biblical numbering system in Revelation 13, mm-hmm. or the calculation, or the failure to recognize that the imagery of that first beast has to pre- be present for the man in question before you even bother to yeah. try to do the calculation, right? Yeah, yeah. So many things have to happen, have to come together at once. Well, it's also true of the formation of this global government. Yeah. You have to have this east-west division. You cannot get that by looking at, say, the uh, Treaty of Rome yeah. and the 10 regions of Rome under it You know that led to the European Economic Council or community and then to the European Union that we look at today, which, of course, has many more than 10 members. You cannot get that by any uh, way of slicing or dicing the Middle yeah. East today. Yeah. So you well, can't say they're just coming out of the Middle East. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, when when Morningstar is uh, is your father, then the sun truly never sets on the fallen British Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the yeah. tentacles yeah. are everywhere, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so I've got a book coming that identifies the first and third horsemen, um, at some point, the books on the second and fourth are already out. You know, the North Korea book is one of those and the book on Charles, he's the fourth horseman. The antichrist will be over the global government and, um, book on the exodus coming book on the mark of the beast book on the depopulation agenda, which is far beyond anything anyone's heard. Gosh, I could go on and on, but I've got 30, I've got about 40 books, I suppose, by the time I count them up. Really coming within the next two to three years. Yeah. So a lot of them are going to come quite quickly and most of them have taken more than a decade each to write. So uh, one can be ordered now, which is the second edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. The first edition is out of print at this point. You can get this one right now. North Korea ran in the coming world war. Nice. There are dozens of other books that will be out within the next two to three years. And this year there will be more books out besides these two. Uh, and you can order this one, North Korea, uh, excuse me. Um, the second edition of the Antichrist of Kepti, you can get that right now. You can order it. Man, your stuff is fascinating. You have a brilliant mind. You are so incredibly thorough. You're incredibly generous with well your time. Well researched, yes. Thank uh, you. Yeah, dude, this has been yep. amazing. So yeah, um, please tell people you know to have me on and interview me. This absolutely. is the time in history for this to go forward. And, yes. and I'll just say for everyone listening, and I know you guys get it, but <clears throat> but I am the individual. Yeah. Who is to bring this to the church globally in the last days? I am that person. You are of the Revelation voice. thirteen eighteen, and it is not only about the identity of the Antichrist; it's about so much more. Yes. And the time has come for the whole church and the whole world to hear about this, 
And believe me, if we can fund it, if somebody will fund it and help with this, we can win maybe hundreds of millions of people who are yes. closed off for the gospel right now to the Lord with the real evidence on these things. Especially the England time, because it's such a dark continent. Yep. And at the same time, help the church to wake up and realize this is it. Yeah. We are now years away from the Lord's return. And yes, yep. in fact, the church is going to go through the tribulation. <clears throat> we is going to go through the great tribulation. We already know who the Antichrist is. And I've been talking about him for decades. Yep. He's about to be possessed by the devil. And the global government is about to start very soon. Awesome. So with that, yes, that's my wrap up. <laughs> Tim Cohen. Tim Cohen. Author of The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. Thank you so much for being here. We cannot wait to have you back. We'll shoot you some dates. And uh, man, you. this is a record, by the way. This is the longest we've ever had an interview. Yeah. And this interview, was yeah. so much fun. Yeah. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate the All break right. earlier, too. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. Yeah, so we can have a get nice night. and jump into it. Praise God. Care, Thank man. you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. We'll be in touch. Yeah. All right. See you, buddy. Bye. Hey, if you guys have been enjoying this interview and you'd like to hear the rest of it, including some really down and dirty stuff that we're not allowed to say here on YouTube, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash the goslings. We'd love to have your support there and share exclusive content with you. That's right. Keep it cool. And remember, these are interviews that strike down the dark. They do indeed strike down That's the right. darkness. They strike down all the darkness. That's right. Strike it down hard. So hard. So hard. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. We would love it if you tell your friends about the show. Maybe leave us a good review. And also consider becoming an honorary Gosling. An official exclusive membership to the Gosling gets you exclusive access to interviews and conversations that we can't have on YouTube. Plus, you'll get free digital downloads of some of our books and excerpts and writing. Uh, also, and check this out, you get to participate in a live monthly Discord chat with us. Uh, we do this once a month now. Um, all this plus more if you join our community on Patreon for just $5 a month. I mean, that's nothing. $5 a month, it's a cup of coffee. So go to patreon.com forward slash the goslings and sign up today. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and strike down the darkness. <laughs>